right, Mia, thanks so much for joining me today. Uh, I want to dive right in and ask you about the parallels of Kung Fu and yoga, because I know you're passionate about both of them. And I'm very curious um, if you could share a little bit about the similarities. Yeah, I love talking about this. <laughs> um, actually, my um, I came into yoga by suggestion of my Sifu. That's my Kung Fu teacher. And um, at that time, actually, the school that I was going to was in Philadelphia. And I was, in, I was like two hours away from where I lived. So it would be a four-hour commute when I would go to training. And um, so it happened that, uh, you know, I had a baby. I was still working. So I spoke to my Sifu, like, I can't make these commutes. Is there anything that I can do other than training at home? And he's like, why don't you try yoga? And I've always wanted to, but for some reason, talked myself out of it. Like, oh, it's too expensive. Or that was mostly the obstacle for me. So for some reason, when he said, go try it out, then all of a sudden, it's okay to spend that money. Um, and when I first got into it, I was like, I love this. Like, I'm going to be doing this forever. And so I've always sort of had um, been doing the yoga and Kung Fu together that it, they sort of merged and so yoga is like this internal work, right? We're in our mats, we're by ourselves, we're investigating and questioning, learning about ourselves, trying to get into that like that core, what the teachings often call about like the self, like the universal self. Um, and that's the journey, right? It's inwards. For Kung Fu, for me, it's an outward journey, but it kind of circles around to the same thing. In any martial arts, you need a partner, right? You have to have touch. And um, you're working with a lot of people. And as you're adjusting, you know, height, size, um, energy, personality, you start to adjust yourself and kind of find yourself in this relationship to somebody else. And then there's feedback because touch is a big thing, right? When you touch someone or something, you have, you sort of download another component of that thing or person that you're touching. And so in that way, I'm also learning about myself through other people. And so then you find this like common ground between you and others. And in that, again, you find the self, the capital S self. So I think they kind of circle back into each other, whereas like yoga is inwards. So you find this universal self that you are connected to everything and everyone. And then Kung Fu, it's like you're connected to someone and then you find yourself. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think it does. I'm, I'm curious, can you remember when you first had uh, a realization that you're connected to something larger than yourself and did that happen in yoga or kung fu or just living living life and how that affected you realizing oh i'm i'm not just isolated i'm not just me i'm connected to something bigger uh, yeah, i grew up um in a religious family and so that was always that was always there that you know um we do things in according to something bigger than ourselves. Um, we conduct you know, our behavior because there's someone watching. <laughs> so I, I don't recall exactly that 
time where it's like, oh, there's something else. But I do recall something specifically that sort of helped me um, kind of pull away from the dogma of religion. Um, I was actually in my 20s and I had a friend of mine who was doing a trans dance meditation or something like that. He had just gotten certified and I wanted to support him. He's like, oh, come to this event that I'm, you know, hosting. And in that one, it was like big speakers, a lot of like bass. And, and But then you're dancing with blindfolds on because like if no one's seeing you, then you can probably move freely. Hmm. So the way that was facilitated is that, you know, he he starts it by having a talk about what it's about then you put the blindfold on and then the music just starts and the facilitator just kind of makes sure nobody bumps into each other and I remember at that point I was questioning like religion for myself like my connection to it or my allegiance to it and I it didn't sit right with me just the way the things that I grew up in what I was taught and how life was occurring you know and I wanted something else, but I was afraid to like not have that. And so that was the intention of my my dance, so to speak. And afterwards, um, when the music stops, they either have you um, lay down in Shavasana or Advasana. And I flipped down, you know, body against the earth. And I started praying the prayers that I grew up with, but then it somehow it didn't fit. And then so I started just like talking because I was like, you know, I really I was really serious about like um, exploring something else, but afraid to do that. And at that point, it occurred to me that like God, I'll use the word God was in me. But then I also knew that it was with other people around me. And there was also God in like in, in the in between spaces. And I mean, I bawled out. I was crying so hard because it was just this like permission or this release that like you know the teachings that I grew up with was really rigid and almost punitive you know it imposed a lot of guilt and all those kinds of things to help you to be more um, to be a good person but it really did the opposite you know it just kind of ate at you um, but yeah I think that was a very specific time where like my it was a real experience of like this divinity and it wasn't like because I was told so. I, like that was a specific experience about like, hey, there's there's more to it. Like you, you can figure it out for yourself, find out. And that was like the freedom. That was when I started to like um, not be so scared. Yeah. Hmm. Like once you crossed the threshold, it sounds like, of exploring for yourself, experiencing mm -hmm. for yourself. The scariest thing was was to take the step to do that. Once mm -hmm. you did and crossed over to the other side, it was like, oh, this isn't as scary as I thought it was. Is, is that it? Yeah, exactly. Well, my thought was that like, oh, if I'm going to leave this religion, then what religion am I going to go into? You know, what other like teaching should I take on? So that was the thinking. And I couldn't find anything that quite fit me because it's like, well, if it's saying this, how come, you know, the behavior looks like that? Like there was a, a mismatch, you know, and then it was like, figure it out for yourself. That was like the freedom like that. Um, and, and then even in, in the pursuit of like finding out myself, like 
the religion that I grew up with and any other religions. I realized, like, you know, uh, truth is one, paths are many. Like, I was able to, like, eke out the wisdom in a lot of these um, teachings outside of how it gets implemented by individuals. And, like, you know, I was able to um, distill the truths in a lot of these um, traditions that, like, okay, I can go back to my church now and I don't feel like I'm, uh, I don't feel, like, imposed upon or I don't feel, you know, like there's something wrong. Like, I can go there and, like, hear the truth. But I just needed to, like, step out of that, like, paradigm. I need to step out of that, um, I guess, box and those rules. And But it, it came from dancing, <laughs> actually. <laughs> it came from movement. Um, and and from that, I realized, like, oh, everything's connected. And then, like, you know, I grew up with God being up in the sky, looking down, writing all the things that you're doing, like Santa Claus. <laughs> But it, he from that from that experience, like you know, divine came here. Like it's an eye level. It's in the, in between. So if that entity is here, like right next to me, like I would conduct myself much better than if I think they're far away and you know, there's like this long, deep like view from the divinity and myself. But I it got brought down and it changed like the way that I, it became real. It wasn't in the books. It wasn't at church. It wasn't, you know, what I was told to do. It was like, no, there's, it's, it's right next to me. It's like right outside my skin or even inside. Right. Even inside your skin. I, I think this is so, so interesting. And uh, it's a really important um, difference of perspective that people have and, I've had a lot of conversations with people who are religious and many of them are really opposed to this idea that the divine lives within us, within me. Mm-hmm. And I, I wonder about that, like, because I think much of the script is like, I have free will and I, Basically, I'm trying to make God, who's outside of myself, happy <laughs> with me. So do the right thing so that God is is happy. And I I grew up with that too, right? And similar to you, I had some experience when where I realized that I'm a part of this thing, and why wouldn't it be inside of me? You know this this divine energy. But the the, the important thing that I think you touched upon is like, how does that change what I do? If I see that God is outside of myself or if I see that God is inside of myself, I think it's a really important question. So it's like to just even try it on, like Mm -hmm. for someone who's never felt that God is inside of them, I would recommend like try it on because I could say for myself, like that really had an impact on me coming to shift that belief that like, okay, if I am divine, then, then I can accept <laughs> whatever's happening inside of me because it's all a part of it. And if I can accept, then I can release the the guilt and the shame. And yeah. from my perspective, it's those energies where I'm second guessing my nature, myself, where I don't take 
the action that is on the higher level, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I I think you hit it like all the, the make wrongs kind of dissolve when you realize like, you know, it's, it's, it's just part of the whole matrix of creation to have these um, impulses even. And of course, like you want to refine some certain things. Um, I mean, I can't quite explain how it's different, I think part of it is that we think we're separate from nature. You know, like it's animals and things difference. like that. They can yeah. do that, but not us. But it's just like, well, we're still of this earth. Um, and I think that's where it comes from. Like we're separate. And that's why there's this like, I, you know, like divinities outside of myself. It's, it's like this separation from, from creation itself, from nature itself. And I think that's maybe... I'm not going to make assumptions, but for me, I think that's where, that's where that um, reluctance to, to include yourself in that divinity, right? It's that separation. Are you stable in <laughs> the uh, belief that you are a part of nature? Like, is there a question there a little bit for you or is it not even a question? Like I am, I am a part of nature. Uh, yeah, no, it's no question. Like, I, I don't know any other way to be like, I don't know any other way to exist. Like, we're here. We're in on Earth. We've come from Earth. Like, we're, how we came even here is still a mystery. And, but like, when I look outside, I don't know anything. My feet is always touching the ground. You know what I mean? I'm always like on the Earth. And so I don't can't think of any other exceptions that makes me think otherwise. I mean, sure, technology makes me makes us think that way but you know I went um back to school as an adult and that journey was about why does yoga work (laughs) um I had been working in a corporate um you know setting and I felt like you know this is I was waiting for life to happen and I think that that trans dance I was talking about just sort of like opened up something and all of a sudden things weren't satisfying anymore like I wanted to pursue whatever not that I knew what it was like a journey um to self-discovery so I got laid off and then I you know I didn't want to go back into that into that work and that field of work so I said and I was already had already been um certified as a yoga teacher and I was teaching my coworkers, and I saw over the months that they were like hey you you have a certification let's do yoga and we were all afraid to take breaks but for some reason we made that commitment on our lunch breaks and over the months, I saw a marked difference in them and myself, like this job that was so stressful. There was this ease that sort of like blanketed us as we were, you know, committing to this lunch break once a week, twice a week. So that when I got laid off and I'm like, there's something about yoga that works. I want to know why. Like, I want to know, like, why through like the academic lens. So I went back to school and because I had that question in my heart and my mind, as I took all the classes, it answered that for me. Like political science answered it for me. Physics definitely answered it for me. Biology, all those things. And what's interesting is that when I learned more about like the natural world, I realized like, hey, we do that. But, you know, as humans, we we impose a morality over it. Like, this is good, this is bad, this is evil, this is good. But, like, everywhere in nature does those things. Like, um, I found out, like, 
you know, plants, how when they're growing roots under the soil, they actually compete for resources so much so that some plants like secrete like um, toxins to kill off all the other roots so that make room for themselves. And then sometimes they don't do that with like their sibling um, species. They sort of help each other out or like the canopy in the forest, they kind of like throw shade on each other to try to like take most of the sun. And so it's like warfare, right? Like they're Mm -hmm. trying to like vie for resources, but there's just a balance in it. So um, I have a friend who, who studies plants, like a horticulturist. She's like, oh yeah, no, it's a warfare in there. And when we go into nature, it's like, it's so peaceful. And, but like at a different, like, dimension or wavelength there is warfare happening between those plants and insects and things like that and so i i just had a sense of ease that like everything is as it should be mm. you know we're no different than nature um and so yeah I, I there's no there's no doubt in my heart to to think that i'm anything separate and and that makes me feel like even more connected Right. So. Yeah. Wow. I haven't heard that about the, the plants and whatnot. It, it totally feels true. It, it seems like both of those things are happening. Both the competition and the collaboration are happening simultaneously, right? Like mm-hmm. that is the nature is that, yeah, there is this competition for resources, but then there's also an awareness that, we all support each other and we're all connected to each other. So mm-hmm. I think, I think both are true, but what you just said, you know, really, really struck me that everything is as it should be, that this helped you to feel that way. And I'm curious how um, this relates to uh, activism. Cause I believe that you're uh, involved in some kind of activism. So I guess my question is, what is healthy activism, right? Because normally activism is is kind of comes from a place of an energy that I get that like everything is not as it should be. Therefore, we need to change things right now. I'm curious your perspective on that. Um, there's a, you know, in Taoism, there's a concept called Wu Wei, like, getting things done by doing nothing. And I'm not talking about like kicking my feet up and just really doing nothing. But there is a particular rhythm that nature takes on. And I'm not just talking about like earth nature. I'm talking about like galaxies and universe nature and stars and, you know, those types of things, nature, like the way things work. Um, and, you know, scientists have been trying to figure that out. And as soon as they get to a precipice, it's like a, it widens out like, oh, there's more to not know. Right. Um, I, I think the type of activism that I'm interested in is like going with the, the flow. Like we mentioned earlier, like it's that separation. I think it's that separation that is the. the discord, right? Like the, the need to be individual and significant 
is what motivates some people to do selfish things or even harmful things. Um, I'm not, it gets complicated because even nature harms each other, right? Like the tiger is going to kill something to feed itself. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about like this need to be more than who you are, more significant than somebody else. And I think, and then when you think that way, then you deserve more resources than somebody else. You, know, you take more than what you need because now there's a projection of not just me here right now, but me here in the future and my legacy. And I need to like hoard these resources, not just for myself, but for the people in along with me, you know? And I think that's where the, we do too much. You, we kind of veer off from how nature flows and moves and just trying to figure that out and how to conduct myself. Um, because in activism, it's not just like, oh, I want things to be peaceful. So I have to be nice to everybody. There has to be, um, some fire in you to like, kind of change the way things are. Um, the level of activism that I participate in is about healing, because I think once we're healed, we realize that we are connected to to everything and everyone. And, we, and like I said, like that bringing that divinity down to eye level, um, then you conduct yourself a little bit differently, a little bit kinder to other things. Um, but I think, uh, yes, yeah, so, some some level of activism is reactionary and you end up just mirroring the opponent. Right. And so if we're not careful about, if we're not careful, then you just repeat the, the thing that's being oppressive, right? You, you just replicate it, but with a different argument, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, so I think we have to be careful that as we're pursuing an activist, we're, we're being active, we're serving, that we are not trying to make ourselves more important than the thing that we're serving or more important than even our opponent. So it's a really like fine line of like how you conduct yourself. Because you can, you can get angry, like, you know, that's fine. Like, it's so awful that you get upset. You're, you know, really angry. Um, and then you can, you know, and when you're reactive, you just like pull away, like, like, um, create polarity. And now there's like this big pendulum swing. Instead, you can use that anger to like, as energy, if you take the story away from the anger, then it's just like raw creative energy that you can use to like, into the work to really like, go further. Hmm. That's so interesting to me to take the story away from the anger. And then there's just that raw energy that can be utilized for something uh, productive. Mm -hmm. Love that. Yeah. I want to uh, return to this idea of healing mm -hmm. that you, that you mentioned and, and also the concept that everything is as it should be and the connection between these two things. So I could say for myself personally, um, that has led to so much healing for me, embracing this perspective and acknowledging that 
I still, I mean, it's still a process because the practice is remembering that everything is as it should be. And all the time I forget (laughs) (laughs) and my mind thinks, oh, I know it should be, it should be this way, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But goodness, like there is so, like, I want to share it (laughs) with others, this, this perspective of, of Wu Wei and everything is as, as it should be um, because it feels so right to me. And there's so much resistance that, that I find to this concept a lot, I think, because of exactly what you said, people just think that that means that you're just going to kick your feet up and you're not going to do anything productive anymore, but it's exactly like the opposite. And I think that's the wisdom of the Tao, you know, that, that, that it's getting at. It's like the, the, the master does nothing and everything gets done. Exactly. You know, I'm just like, so like craving, I think it will happen because it's the truth of all of us opening up, but it's a hard concept to grasp. I think if you haven't experienced the truth of it, right. Mm-hmm. I'll give you an example. So I'm in my mid forties. I'm a woman. There's an expectation in women to present themselves a certain way to stay young. Right. I mean, not just women, but like, people in general, like there's some, um, we hold up like youth so much in a higher, um, you know, we hold that up better than like aging and the seniors. I mean, so there's this, but nature is like, we age, that's nature. Like that's the flow of the way, uh, that's the flow of nature. Um, but we resist it so much that we're doing all these extra things to kind of like veer off from the way. So like doing nothing is allowing yourself to age and welcoming you know, what comes with that, you know, wrinkles and, you know, some parts of the body is not working as the way it used to be, but we resist against that. And then that's the whole thing with like going against nature, you know, that I was talking about. And like, there's a whole industry around that, like anti-aging, right? But if we start to look at aging in a way that like, that's the way it should be, then you start to look at like, Well, how, like, how is that flow in like life that aging is important? Like having elders is important. Um, I like to think of it like, because I have, you know, friends who are elderly and there's this like complaint, like my body's not how it used to be or my memory's not how it used to be and my eyes are going. Um, And I think of it this way, like, you know, when you're, when we, a lot of people say like, oh, babies are still so connected to, you know, because they're brand new, everything's, the potential is there. And then as they get older, then the ways of life society starts to mold this individual. And then you become a member of society, you become a contributor of a society as an adult. But then at some point you become a senior, you retire from that work, you, um, you know, you stop really participating in that way and you start to retreat, right? Whether you like it or not, like the body makes you do that. And I think of it in this way, and I think there's a lot of cultures that have thought of it this way and and revere their elders because as you get older, you once again get closer to spirit. You know, like there's a concept, pratyahara, like sense withdrawal, right? To say that like, we um, take in um, like our senses give us information about the world. And then there's this thing like, well, everything is an illusion, right? 
you're, you're taking everything based on your senses and that's not quite the whole story. But when that gets taken away or that starts to fade, then you're really in that like, I guess, forced pratyahara, <laughs> right? Now you can be really, and, and then you have the wisdom of the life that you've lived. Um, and I think that's beautiful. I, I, you know, it's scary to think that I won't be able to do certain things anymore as I get older, but I'm looking forward to being even closer to spirit. Um, so like when it gets, what's interesting, you know how like when weather is coming and I feel it, like I feel it in my wrist, (laughs) you've heard that before, right? Like, Oh, I feel it in my bones. There's weather coming. And of course now technology, you know, you can just check your phone like, Oh yeah, it's going to rain like this afternoon or tomorrow. But can you imagine before technology when, you know, people lived with their elders and they weren't separated that the elder will say, Oh, I feel it in my bones. There's rain coming. So like bring everything in like that must've been magic to someone who doesn't understand that, you know, like now I feel it now when there's weather coming, like my wrist hurts, (laughs) my, my shoulder hurts, you know? And although it's uncomfortable, sure enough, there it comes. There's the, there's the, you know, high pressure or low pressure system. And then, there's rain and I felt it in my body. Like that must've been magic before we had meteorology, before we had the satellites. And that's what I mean. Like you get closer to spirit as you're aging and that's Wu Wei. That's how things flow. Like you have a different value in your community. As you age, you have this like added wisdom that you, that you had to live through life to get. And you have this added wisdom by not relying on the physical, our physical aptitude. Like there's, now you have to rely on something deeper and more subtle as you age. And so that to me is Wu Wei. And the idea of being individual is when our fighting against that and our society fighting against that and not listening to our elders. In a way, I think it's, it might even be fighting against love and Mm. gratitude. Um, and holding on to this, you know, the mind <laughs> thinking that it knows and wanting a different way and, and, and also the, the conforming too. like going back to what you talked about in terms of your, you know, your, your relationship with religion and getting to a place of, of kind of rebellion and figuring it out on your own and, and that it was scary to do that. I think that's what's happening a lot, but it's happening on so many different levels. So even on the level of like what you're talking about in terms of how I feel about aging or time, right? It's very popular for the saying, the words to be thrown thrown around that like life goes fast as an example, like life, life moves fast. Well, I heard that a lot. And maybe when I was younger, I would repeat that somewhat, but that's not my experience that life goes fast, right? Um, and, and so it's this, it's, it's, it's like a breaking away and it is scary to figure it out on your own. And it's like nestling in the cocoon of what society wants you to do. It's almost like an illusion of, 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 of safety that I feel so much so that I'll experience so much other suffering, even the suffering of always feeling like it's better 
the grass is always greener some, somewhere else. Like, you know, the young person wants to be old because then you're given more respect or, um, you're able to do more things. Right. And then you're older and you've lost your youth and whatever. And so we could spend our whole lives wishing that <laughs> I was somewhere else other than where I am right now. But the real rebellion to me is rebellion towards gratitude towards, Oh my gosh, I'm so grateful for this moment. And also the acceptance of that it might not last. And I don't know what, what's, what's going to happen. Um, so I guess I'm curious how you feel about rebellion in general. And I know that you're also a mother and that you also run a daycare, right? So mm -hmm. you're influencing a lot of children and how this plays into the way that you are with, with, with them. Because for the child, it's so easy to fall into, okay, here's this adult that has more life experience. So I'm going to listen to what they have to say and conform to them. But that process, I think, is what has gotten many of us into trouble for lack of a better, better word. Um, so how do you, how do you nurture them to maybe not fall into that trap and to think for themselves and balance that too, with the fact that you do have a lot to offer them and a lot of wisdom to share with them. Mm -hmm. uh, when, when I had my son, it was like, you know, I had my ideas of what it was to be a good person. And that's what I was, who I aspired to be. But then when my son, I'm like, Oh my gosh, now it's real. Now I got to act on those things. And it really takes, and it, this goes back to the practice of like yoga and Kung Fu, where um, the principles in there helps you to find yourself and learn about yourself and also learn about, um, as you're learning about yourself, you start to see the, you know, the behaviors or the beliefs that's been imposed on you. That's not quite it. Um, the roles that you, you've adapted just because that's what was expected of you. Um, and I think the, these spiritual practices help you to like uncover that and then like work your way out of that. Right. Or, and cause the thing is like all the things that, that I've, um, acquired or, um, been conditioned to do, it wasn't cause someone was telling me to do it. It was because someone who I was growing up with was doing it. And I'm like, Oh, that's the example I'm going to act. That's how I'm supposed to be. Right. I think we're aware of that to some degree and to be able to uh, undo some of these conditioning, I think, is the work in raising young, impressionable minds. And that's really it's like what's in, what's challenging and that I love about working with children and like, you know, being a teacher in that way is that I have to be the teachings. I have to like be that. It's different when I'm in a classroom or in a studio and I'm teaching yoga, like, or even, you know, talking about like some of these principles, it's like verbal, you get it. And then at the end, you get to choose which one you're going to believe or which one you're going to actually act on. So there's like just that moment of, you know, information or whatever. But I, you know, I'm with these kids five days a week, you know, 45, 50 hours a week. And, you know, spending a lot of time with me and, and they're still like looking up to their 
um, community to like, what's normal here? Like, how do I conduct myself? What language are we going to speak? You know, and those wires start to get connected based on the the environment that they're in, like the the nurture part of, you know, development. And so if I have um, an idea of what, how nature flows, I'm not saying I do know, but just as far as I can tell, there's a way of conducting yourself to connect with others, to connect with nature. And I have to behave that way. That's the teaching. Of course, you know, you have to like um, teach. It's a tricky thing because you want the, you want the child to be as un, um, I don't want them to be as much as I can help be influenced by the things that like, you know, society is going to go like, you have to be this way. You got to act this way. This is how you talk. This, trying to like, pres- like, keep it at bay as long as you can, like preserve who they are for as long as you can before like they have to go to school and um, assimilate, right? I had this one student who he was like two and then three and he wasn't quite talking. He would just like make sounds. But, and then, you know, people were worried like, oh, you know, maybe, you know, they start... um they start thinking about like diagnoses, like, oh, it could be this, it could be that, ADHD on the spectrum. But I just saw such an intelligence into this kid that I, I told the parents, like, you know, language acquisition kind of narrows how we perceive the world. And I, mm. I almost, and he there was an intelligence in him. He had a physical intelligence too. And I almost like, let's preserve that. Like he doesn't quite, you know, when you when you name a thing, you separate it from its surrounding. Right. Like if I call a tree a tree, then it's just a tree with the roots. I no longer incorporate the symbiosis in which it exists. I, you know, that no longer that's not part of the, the image of the, the figure of this tree. And like language does that for us. Right. We, we make these separations. So this kid didn't have that. And, but he was so physically intelligent. He was sensitive. He was empathic. And I was like, this is beautiful. Like, I don't want to like rush him into speaking and he eventually like when he was like right before he had to go to kindergarten he did go to speech therapy because like what you need to (laughs) learn how to communicate like for those of us who were close to him we understood each other right but like okay you're gonna go into the school system you're gonna have to learn how to talk so there was that but he was an amazing and when we were in nature like like he was like busy right but when we were in nature, he was so focused. And, you know, I would tell them, like, he's able to, like, if you throw a ball at him, he can jump kick it and hit it. And I was like, that's intelligence right there, you know. Like, it's not fair for us to expect his peers to be able to do that who are speaking at that point. You can't expect that. Um, so I think in teaching and working with kids, like, you have to, like, look deeper than what's what is expected, the milestones. You have to, like, look in them, look, like... And make space for that um, and try to preserve who they are before I, we impose like social contracts, right? And yeah, the yoga and the Kung Fu really helps me to, to have that kind of looking for, on them and mostly on myself, like on me. Like how am I like imposing things that like they're not ready or like it's not really important right now. 
Yeah, I think it it's one where a lot of self-compassion is helpful because um, we've all been indoctrinated into a system and that's inevitable. You know, it's not right or wrong. I mean, it's just we are products of, of our environment. At the same time, you know, uh, if we are around children, we have an opportunity to progress things a little bit further as a result of the genuine work that each of us have done, are doing. And that's what I, I hear you saying and like the power of, of, of being the example. So this is so important, I think, what you're bringing up here. I, I don't know if it gets enough attention is our relationship with language in general. That might be the biggest indoctrination that there is. It's that we treat words as if they can describe everything. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and like, like our relationship with words, like, like I'm speaking from like, what is my relationship with, with words? You know, like, I think that they're wonderful. I think language is wonderful, but can it actually describe what is reality? Like, no. And if I pretend that it does, then I'm not seeing what is real. And that's what the children like, no, like, okay, we can teach each other and use these words to communicate and, and they're really, really nice. But what's happening beyond words? Like, you know, how addicted am I? And am I uncomfortable when there's no words around? You know, what's my relationship like with silence? Uh, oh, yeah. I think it's an extremely important aspect of, of yoga and living in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it informs us how, like, how we live because, you know, with other languages, there's terms that there's no English equivalent, right? And it's because that culture needs that word <laughs> in the way that they like. In in Filipino, there's a word called tandai. And tandai means like when you're laying down with someone, when you put your leg over the other person. <laughs> when you're sleeping. <laughs> so, you know <laughs> Uh, yeah and this is a culture who shared beds with not just their with like you know you shared beds with people and you need that word you and we you under it took me so many words to explain tandai right and and i think there's other you know whatever language or you know it's related to culture and that speaks to that so i mean yeah, if you're speaking English and that's it, there's so many other ways of being and behaving that we're missing out on because we don't have a word for it, right? Yeah, just just to open up to this, you know, the limited sight, to be honest about, you know, how I see such a small fraction of what is really going on. Um, I'm trying to practice humbling myself all all the time. And it, it feels good because it always feels good to be in more alignment with reality rather than trying to convince myself that, you know, something isn't real. Um, but uh, I really want to ask you, Mia, about uh, inclusivity around yoga um, and, and any thoughts that you have around how we might be able to um, share these teachings with, with more, more people and make them more accessible. I think it's important 
and I'll just narrow it down to like America, US, United States. It's important to know our history. Like I think we need to understand that before we can really like take a step towards that. Like that's the first step, I think, because we can talk about it and then you say, yes, 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 I get it. But there's so many things ingrained. We talked about the conditioning and like expectations that we're blind to it because it's been, it's been normalized for us. That's how things are. And the way things are, are rooted in, you know, oppression and pain and, you know, uh, uh, I'll, I'll leave it to those two words, but you get what I mean. Um, you know, this country is founded on genocide and enslavement. And then it was those people that did that, that wrote the books, wrote history. Like they're the ones that's like, oh, this is how, this is how we were doing. This is how we came to be. But there's like this unsaid thing that happened, like a big thing that, and we all know that it's there. And so, um, I'm learning that there are certain like laws that were in place to protect the, um, uh, to to protect those. Um, well, I'm trying to avoid the word white supremacy, but that's what it is <laughs> to protect this way of being. And it's it's not like an abstract thing, like oh, there's a system that, and that's just how it is. Like no, like it's in the laws, it's in there, and it's also in the way that we, um, like, and that's the normal thing, right? Like that's how we implement. Like if we talk about like professionalism, what does that look like? You know, oh, I wear a tie suit and I speak a certain way. And, but that's based on a very narrow um, set of um, qualities of what a professional is, right? Like for some people, me as a childcare, that's not a professional work, but like there's so much responsibility in there, you know? Um how we value certain occupations that's based on certain things. Um, how we gatekeep, like generally speaking, the industry of yoga, there's a certain image, right? And then now we're looking to like, no, it, it's for anyone. It's for anyone who wants it. But then when those anyone, any person want, like steps into a studio, it's unwelcoming. And if they want to pursue um, the studies, it's inaccessible, you know, so how can we, how can we look at the way that we do things, the systems that we've implemented to share yoga, do yoga, teach yoga, that kind of pushes out some people or blocks people, other folks out? Um, you know, like the financial um, obstacles are a real thing. So a studio, or you know, um, we in San Francisco had like so far we've had two. Um, trainings for uh, black, indigenous, and people of color exclusively. So the teachers and the students um, were that, um, or the global majority, right? Um, and it was a different setting. The questions were different. Like, we really want to know, because sometimes, like, with yoga and philosophy of yoga, there's like, Okay. Yes, I. Uh, yeah, I get it, but it doesn't kind of it doesn't connect to real life. Like, I'll give you an example. Like, the teaching of tapasya about accepting pain. 
right? And and we're like, yeah, that's important in spiritual development. We should accept it. But like, how can you say that to someone, to people who've endured pain for like, not just on them, but like through generations? Like, how do you, how are you going to teach that? So you have to be careful of like how you teach these things. You have to understand it. Um, you have to understand in a different way other than how it's been taught to you. I guess my question too comes about if I can jump in is like, should we be teaching anything? This is, this is, this is you know, what I mean? like, like <laughs> it, 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 what if that was shifted to sharing my perspective and you can do